Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. The following is a post-time... With Mike and Mike, production. Trent McWicket is lonely on the lead. He's up by four on the outside. Don't tell me again, cutting into the margin. But it's McWicket four years later, back at the top of the sport. Homicide Hunter who sweeps past to the outside. Homicide Hunter trying to get to the finish. It's Homicide Hunter who will hit the line. 148 and 4, the fastest trotter ever. Dewey did some good down the boulevard of broken dreams. Walker Meister coming at him. Walker Meister on the outside getting the best of him. Walker Meister in front. Giddy up. Three wide, all bets off. They're at the top of the stretch. Rock and Ron turns first in the Battle of Lake Erie. On the outside, bit of a legend. Rock and Ron, bit of a legend on the outside. Bit of a legend. This year's battle champion, 23 and 1. Homeward bound in Gold Cup and Soccer, 59. Somewhere, Penty, rocking in heaven. Rose Run West is there. Here is the French connection. The alerts have won it. Fine. Twinkle takes aim in the passing lane. Now Caviar Alley in full gear outside. Shark start a feeling. Caviar Alley all out. Shark digging deep. Shark's going to dig in here and get the win here. Shark up on the front end. Then none shall pass for Tim Dietrich. You're tuned in to the official podcast of the Sport of Harness Racing Post Time with Mike and Mike with co-host Mike Carter. Foiled again! Hold on to win! Foiled again, tough as nails! And Mike Bozich. The Iron Horse has cemented his legacy! Giddy Don't touch that dial. You've got another action-packed rendition of Host Time with Mike and Mike presented by the United States Trotting Association. Mike Carter joined by Mike Bozich, who uh, were in full quarantine mode uh, with COVID-19 going on. And uh, Mike, I'll tell you what, um, starting to miss harness racing uh, just a little bit. Yeah, so we're starting to miss everything. I mean, life has pretty much changed. It's come to a halt. It's come to a standstill, not only in the harness racing world, but just completely. I mean, it's it's just so odd and eerie to drive by businesses and restaurants. A lot of these, of course, mom and pops, and uh, just seeing them closed, seeing, you know, people stay home. And uh, it's it's just, it's it's quite medieval. I don't know really what else to say about it. Um, over 5,000 deaths now in the United States. Of course, the virus has uh, walked pretty much every 
a major sport, including the sport of harness racing. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a tough, tough thing. And, and, uh, really, um, you know, I, I hate to say it, but there doesn't really seem to be an end in sight right now. Yeah, that's for sure. And, uh, lots of things, uh, obviously going on in the world. We certainly appreciate you taking time out to listen to our program this morning, a blockbuster program, Mike, we're going to get a chance to talk to Joe Ferraldo here in a second. Uh, he had his own bout with COVID-19 and the coronavirus, and what a situation that's uh, kind of played out at Yonkers and in New Jersey uh, over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, no, no question about it. And, uh, you know, just, I mean, a lot of different things, a lot of different topics uh, that we're going to talk about today. And it's going to certainly be interesting, Mike, to talk to uh, Joe Ferraldo, who, of course, tested positive uh, for, the, uh, for the coronavirus. Jason Bartlett, another who's recovering just got out of quarantine. Uh, so we're going to actually talk to Joe about his experience with the coronavirus. And, uh, you know, Mike, an interesting thing, uh, of course, our good friend, Rich Matei, who's been a, you know, is a contributor here to post time with Mike and Mike and, and a pretty good friend of mine. His wife is a nurse and she is, uh, she's working some long, long hours, 12 to 18 yep. hour days in a New Jersey hospital and I was talking to him last night about some of her experiences, uh, just some, some heartbreaking experiences, Mike. Uh, yesterday, she she had to actually, because, of course, the families now can't come to see their loved ones or uh, in a lot of extreme cases to say goodbye to their loved ones. She actually had to hold the iPad up uh, and FaceTime a family saying goodbye to their loved one. I mean, how heartbreaking wow. and how heart-wrenching is that? And uh you know, just some of the stories that he was telling me, just, uh, just, just heartbreaking, heartbreaking. All right. We're going to talk to uh, Joe Ferraldo now. He's been patiently waiting on hold for us. And uh, first off, good morning, Joe. And uh, how are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling about 90% better right now. So trying to get a lot more work done that's been sitting idle in my office and uh, at the USTA and just about everywhere else. I got to catch up. Well, Joe, I tell you what, you sound Mike Bozicher, You sound terrific, my friend. First of all, let me say that. But uh, you know, we're going to talk a, about a range of topics. But let's talk a little bit about um, your experience with the virus. How did it start? Uh, how did you feel? Uh, you know, things of that sort. Well, I, I I started to feel very very weak. I went to Freehold, I think February 28th to race a horse. And I think without the assistance of a bottle of Gatorade, I don't think I would have been able to go around twice. Then the following week I went back, same thing, no energy, no fever, nothing like that, but absolutely no energy level, back to the Gatorade and back to the racetrack. Um, the following morning, um, I had absolutely, I didn't have enough energy to get up off the couch. I had planned on washing the car and going out to dinner, and I couldn't move. And I started to get congestion in my head and in my lungs. I had no appetite. I had no sense of smell or taste. And I spiked the fever on the following day. I think that was the day before John died, John Brennan. And um, I, had, I had been concerned, but not that concerned, until I spiked that fever. I hit 103 on the on the thermometer, and that got me right to the doctor, and he took a series of tests, and then he prescribed uh, the drug for malaria. He prescribed the Z-Pack, 
20,000 units of vitamin D3, 50 milligrams of zinc. Um, and I spoke to him just the other day. He told me to continue with whatever the vitamins were that he prescribed, and that's what I'm doing. But I feel a lot better. I feel a lot better. I chaired a committee at the USDA just uh, the other day. The Actually, there's four committees, um, parimutuel, fares, driver, trainer, and regulatory. And that, that kind of took a lot out of me. But um, the USDA has got to continue to work. And under President Williams, that's exactly what we're doing. You know, I got to sit in on that uh, on that conference call with you guys on Tuesday, Joe. And, uh, you know, it was so cool to kind of hear everybody do the voting and everything that we would normally do in person. Um, but this has taken such a toll on the industry as a whole, uh, from the Fusco family to uh, your good friend, John Brennan. Uh, you know, it's tough to deal with on a regular basis, but when you know five, six, seven people who have passed away from this, it makes it even harder. Yeah, so what what what, what is a little, a little bit troubling is that people are trying to to, to uh, make the argument very myopically that uh, this has something to do with racing in, in some way, shape, or form, because that's all we seem to concentrate on who are in the business. And I had a person the other day interview me, and I said, this is not a racing thing. There are people who attend funerals, who attend parties, who attend weddings, who end up getting um, the coronavirus. It's got nothing to do with racing. So I, I really don't like the idea that people are trying to say, well, it has in some way, shape, or form is related to our industry. It's not. It's all over the place. It's universal. And it has not selected any industry to hone in on. And... Um, and I want to—I just want to make that point. This is does that we—we know we lost John Brennan, we know we lost members of the Fusco family. It's terrible. We had a groom die up here who had—I believe he had a heart attack. They since condemned the dormitory at Yonkers Raceway. So you know, it's people looking for an excuse to shut down the racing, uh, so that they can maximize a profit, or just just that they're misinformed and they want to lay. Everybody wants to point a finger at on, on how they contracted this disease, and it's really not fair to our sport. We have a number of problems. We don't need additional ones created by people who, um, who are looking to get rid of our sport so that they can make more money. Visiting with Joe Feraldo. Joe, talk to us, of course. Uh... You know, John Brennan, uh, just a, a very well-liked guy in the harness racing world, certainly sent shockwaves when, the, you know, he passed uh, from the virus. Talk to us a little bit about John and your relationship with him. Geez, I know John 30, maybe 35 years. Um, at one point in time, he trained a couple of horses for me and our vice president, Peter Vinalia. Um, and then when, when Yonkers opened up as a, a racino, uh, John said he was interested in, in having that position as our field rep. And he was probably the best field rep that we had. Um, he really did work his rear end off. He was my right-hand man, but more importantly, forget me, he was the right-hand man of all the horsemen that came up to Yonkers to race. Whatever their problem was, whether it had to do with licensing, whether it had to do with his intervention in the race office or with the judges, um, or handing out uh, meal tickets for, for people who were needy in the paddock who needed to eat. Uh, John, J John was, was, I guess you would call him a mensch, 
Um, if somebody had a birthday, he'd be the first one to post it on Facebook. If somebody was sick or got hurt in a race, uh, he'd call up, for example, Kurt Sugg. He'd be on the phone with him three times a day. If somebody else wasn't feeling well, this guy would just pick up the phone and he would try to talk to the people and let them know that there's somebody there's concerned about them. And then he would come to me and he would say to me, well, what can we do for A, B, or C, who's a member of our association who's in need? John was always the one who would come to the SOA welfare meetings, and he would he would actually be carrying the ball for some horseman who was in need. He did that not because he wanted, I don't think, to to, to be considered as just a nice guy. I just think that's the way he was. When his sister was sick, he would go from Yonkers out to Long Island to see her just about every night and then drive back to New Jersey. I mean, that's the kind of guy John was. So he's going to be sorely missed, and he's going to be hard to replace. You know, one memory I have of John is uh, we at the USTA were have come to shoot video from a couple of the roofs uh, at racetracks, and uh, he helped me get on the roof in the uh, far turn in the paddock area at Yonkers uh, a couple of times, uh, the last couple of times we came, and you know, it's just, it's going to be so weird uh, when we come back out the Yonkers not to have him around. But, uh, Joe, you, you've obviously had to deal with this yourself. What advice would you give anybody um, who may be walking around, who may, you know, may be feeling ill? What advice would you give to those people who uh, to, are still walking around and uh, still in the industry? Well, I'd give them the same advice everybody else has given them, but I'd extend that. You don't have to be feeling ill. You could be you could be in in a period of time six to seven days I think it is where this virus uh, takes control of your body, and during that period of time you have no idea you're even sick, so you're walking around asymptomatic. So the advice goes to those who are symptomatic certainly, and those who are not, and that is stay away from other people, confine yourself in a quarantine, go through all these spiked fevers and stuff you have to do, and stay away from from other people. And if you go out, I would suggest you wear a mask for no reason other than to make sure that if you if you do cough or sneeze, whatever you're, you're doing remains confined underneath that mask and you don't spread these germs around because that's apparently the way you, you, you get the most opportunity to contract this disease is by that kind of contact. I don't think it's from surfaces. Um, unfortunately, I, I think I know a lot about it, even though most people, nobody knows really the bottom line truth. But I know one thing. You could be walking around asymptomatic, and you could be infecting a number of people without even knowing because you don't have symptoms. So everybody should take the advice of Governor Cuomo here in the state of New York and the other governors who decided to shut down their their economies and 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 the flow of people, and ask for social distancing, because if people don't do that, this thing is going to spike out of control. We've been woefully ill-prepared for this this type of um, a pandemic. It's sad to say, but it happens to be the truth. We got a late start on this thing. Some people were calling it a hoax. It's not a. This is not a hoax. This is the this is the real McCoy, and hopefully they can get um, a vaccine for it. I'm. I want to go donate plasma to see if there are any antibodies because maybe they could, maybe that could help somebody. So I have an appointment on April the 16th to do a plasma donation. 
um, if if they'll let me do it, you know. Yeah, that's one. That's one of the. Uh, I, I was just reading about that this morning. One of the uh, uh, treatments, so to speak, that uh, doctors um, are kind of excited about is uh, the fact that maybe people that have had the coronavirus uh, have these antibodies that can be given to people that are that are uh, currently fighting. The disease, Joe. Before we let you go, of course, I, and you mentioned this. You know, our little corner of the world is is harness racing, and and you know, and obviously we've been affected by it, just like every other major sporting event and every other economic driver has. Uh, where is? Can we even predict what the end game on this is? When do you have any kind of guess? Get out your crystal ball and maybe tell us when we can get back to work. Well, I'm looking. I'm looking for May. We've we've signed off on on an agreement with the track and with the gaming commission um, that says we 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 understand we will not be racing any time prior to April the 18th. Uh, they wanted me to to sign a document that says we'd be we wouldn't be racing until further notice. I refuse to do that. I think that what we should be doing is trying to get back in in May. Obviously, if if the parameters are set that we can go back to work. And I think it's imperative on the participants in this industry not to wait till a regulatory agency tells us what we can do, but decide to, amongst ourselves what we think would be the best way back once we do get back. Um, for example, like if anybody want to come in the paddock, we brought the we bought these laser um, uh, thermometers. If someone is have, has a fever, I think our plan should be not to allow them into the paddock or limit the number of people that go in the paddock like they did at Saratoga. They raced four races, got everybody out, brought in the next four races. They were capped at 50 people that were grooms and trainer drivers, and no one else was admitted to the paddock. We should come up with a plan for when this does get opened up. Not that we want to have it opened up tomorrow. I just saw they, they closed Cal Expo uh, by order of the Department of Health, so there is not any single racetrack operating in this country right now so knowing that i think we need to make our own plan to get back i've suggested that uh, while we normally have a break at the end of may that we forego that break to try to make up some of the days that we're, we're missing hopefully by then there'll be a relaxation of these social distancing requirements and and stay at home quarantine orders but that's the best I could guess is sometime in May. And that's only a guess. Yeah. And 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 obviously the you know the the uh and it's going to depend. I mean obviously as far as the coronavirus itself and some of the data that you know we see on the news each and every day uh and really we we certainly expected these spikes and and simply because uh we're doing more widespread testing I think is the reason for for a lot of these spikes but I mean as far as the coronavirus itself now you've had it where do you see kind of the end game on that Well uh I don't know I don't think anybody knows some people are telling me that um, that I should be immune from it at least for the rest of the season and other people are telling me that I could get it again and so, the, really, the database on all of this is all over the lot. Nobody can really come to a conclusion. I'd like to come to a conclusion that I'm not going to get it again, uh, but <laughs> right. you never know. You, you just don't know. It's all over the place. It's 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 universal in its in its reach and its breadth. Um, yeah. Like was said, it's it's an invisible disease. 
Well, Joe, listen, we certainly, we're certainly happy that you're feeling a lot better, and we're certainly happy that you beat this thing. And, and uh, we want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing your experience, and uh, hopefully we'll get back to racing real soon. All right. Thank you guys very much. Nice to talk to you. All right. That was uh, Joe Feraldo and uh, Mike, certainly um, a most interesting experience. Uh, certainly good, good words of advice from Joe. And and uh, I'll tell you, I, I do believe that he's right. I mean, I, I do believe that uh, we can't sit by and let a regulatory agency tell us, uh, you know, when we can go back to work. I mean, although they ultimately will, but certainly – you know, if harness racing does have a plan in place to uh, to assure the the safety of others, you know, I think we'll uh, I think we would be in much better standing and could, could get back to work uh, fairly quickly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, doing the preventative things that a lot of the racetracks were and are doing um, that still continue to race. Obviously, a couple of thoroughbred tracks uh, still currently racing. So, you know, just doing what we can to continue to practice the social distancing and uh, you know continue to move forward. Yeah, and uh, you, you know, and, and that's if, if people are out there wondering why uh, the state of Oklahoma is still racing, uh, it's because that the governor there and the, and the legislature there deemed that horse racing is an essential a part of the economy. So it's technically almost like a grocery store or um, you know a bank where they deem it essential to stay open. And, you know, and, and, and it's quite interesting. And it's, you know, it, look at some of the handle numbers that they're putting up. I mean, they are really the only game in town and, and uh, they are posting some huge, huge handles. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just, it's amazing to see what uh, some of these tracks are, uh, are handling um, with, you know, obviously there's not a whole lot of racing going on uh, right now, obviously with just, uh, you know, Foner and Gulfstream and a couple of tracks out in California. It's just, it's amazing to see the kind of numbers that they are turning in. Well, we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk to David Siegel coming up next. Uh, he's going to join us uh, here for the next, though, say, 20 minutes or so. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the challenges he believes are facing harness racing as a whole. We're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, David Siegel is in the on-deck circle. You've got post time with Mike and Mike presented by the United States Trotting Association. We'll be right back. Every dream has a start, and this one is ours. To trot and pace fast, faster than all the others, and maybe faster than any horse ever has. With every stride, 1,200 pounds of pure equine determination. In every turn, there's a tale. Every bet is a hope. No five-year returns, no annuities, 401ks. Return on investment comes in seconds. Maybe they say that the odds are against you. But you know nothing great comes easy. Winners don't second-guess. They sprint through openings and dig in deeper when the going's tough. No horse ever rides alone. The owners, the driver, the groom, and you... There are no sidelines here. The world is often full of many compromises, but not here. Not on this day. Not in this race. Not with this horse. Not in this sport. Once you feel it, it becomes you. Once you become it, your dream becomes ours. 
This is Harness Racing. We welcome you to the Harness Racing Fan Zone. See it all for yourself. Feel it in all the passion. Share that experience with others. And be a part of it all. The Harness Racing Fan Zone puts you in the driver's seat. Foundation has the power to bring a life-changing experience to any child. We introduce youth to the horses and skills that build confidence, friendships, and a lifelong love of harness racing. The Harness Horse Youth Foundation has been a positive influence in the lives of thousands of young people since 1976. Check out the complete list of Harness Horse Youth Foundation camps and activities at hhyf.org. That's hhyf.org. Hey, racing fans, we all know the ride begins well before the starting gate. Stay warmed up around the clock at PennHorseRacing.com, your home for all things harness and thoroughbred racing. PennHorseRacing.com gives you the inside track on betting, industry events, breeding, news, and more. You know, everything that'll give you an edge come post-time. Visit PennHorseRacing.com today. Brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Racing Association. Family problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. back on post time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America and the USTA. Mike Bozich along with Mike Carter and uh, Mike just coming off a very interesting interview with uh, Joe Feraldo. We're going to have uh, another most interesting interview on an array of topics with Trackmaster's own Dave Siegel and uh, they, we welcome Dave to the program now. Dave, how are you? Um, very well and I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on the show this morning. All right, very good. First of all, uh, Dave, let's talk a little bit, and we're going to bring up a, a variety of topics here. Is we're going to talk about some of the issues that that plague harness racing. One of them uh, that certainly is let's see. I think we lost Mike there, so I will take yeah, off. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm <laughs> I think I'll take over for him. But uh, one that sure. uh, we, you know. Obviously, uh, a lot of people look at is uh, whipping, and you have been very passionate about the uh, whipping rule. You've seen it take effect in Ontario. Uh, how do you think it's affected the perception of racing there? So um, let me take a step back, if you don't mind, because um, I listened to Joe, of and, and I am going to bring I'm going to bring this back to exactly the point. Um, but first of all, um, I'm thrilled that uh, Joe has uh, gotten through. Uh, his bout with the virus. Uh, Joe and I do not always agree on things, um, but we're good friends. We've taken a couple of foreign trips together, so I've gotten to know him uh, quite well, and um, I'm, I'm glad that he's doing well. You also mentioned Cal Expo, and um, if those who are listening don't know, I'm in Northern California. I haven't driven in the last couple of years, but I've driven in uh, several thousand races there, so 
uh, been on the backstretch a lot and, and know the operation. And they got canceled uh, at the last minute. I know a bunch of horses had already gotten their LASIK shots yesterday. Um, I, in fact, have been involved with them uh, with making past performances free uh, for their last four weeks. Uh, we had to do some work to be able to um, send uh, data to Australia for wagering. So there was a lot of effort, and I'm, I'm certain that Chris Schick and Ben Kenny put a lot of effort in, um, and I know they did with our Horse Racing Commission to get those dates moved. And that the track was closed by the local uh, uh, health authority, which is exactly the same thing that happened at Santa Anita. Um, it was not closed by the state. Um, uh, unlike Oklahoma, our government did not consider it an essential business. And by the way, it, it, to me, it's a joke for anybody to consider it an essential business when you compare it to food and you know fire departments and things like this. But what they did is they got an exemption. And the exemptions they got effectively were that closing the track would net-net make for a worse situation than leaving it open, um, in particular that it would potentially create a significant homeless uh, situation uh, with the people who lived on the backstretch. And obviously the county health authorities, uh, correctly or incorrectly, weighed the pros and cons uh, and did a reversal. Um, and. Uh, I'm going to lead into whipping because I believe they were largely pressured by the animal rights advocates groups. And in this case, the animal rights advocate groups were using the leverage of the virus to get the tracks to close down. Um, I listened to the C California Horse Racing Board's meeting last week, and at the end of the meeting, there's a public session. And if you listen to these animal rights advocates that one may think they've come off the rails on the animal rights side which i would say they did but they weren't focused on that during the meeting they were focused on the racetracks and pointing out the negatives of them staying open and while i can't say this about cal expo because i didn't see it i can tell you that frankly the horsemen at santa anita and at Fonner park did themselves no favors um, because what you want to do in this situation, and you're saying, I'm going, to, I'm going to bring this back to whipping in a minute or two. What you want to do in this situation is not give the groups any more ammunition to shut you down. And while there were uh, additional protocols in place, like I absolutely noticed Cal Expo, nobody was in the winner circle. So that was a really smart thing that they did because it's visible on television. The horse pulled in, made a circle just on his own, and that was it. Drove off. That was excellent. I'm watching Fawner Park the other day. There is an objection, and I see the groom within a foot of the jockey who's waiting for the call. And then after the call is done, they high-five each other. So, at, And this is on TVG. So right then, at that moment, you know, the horsemen, in, in that case, a, a limited number of people, really, really hurt the, pro, the chances of the weighing of those local health departments. So this is all going to come under the category then of the animal rights groups um, looking for ammunition. Let's call it that. They look for ammunition. And Joe even said the words, I, I quoted him exactly as part of it, people trying to shut down our sport. And he's exactly right. So I come back to what are the things that these animal rights groups look to do to potentially shut down the sport? like they shut down, you know, dog racing in Florida and like they're having a say now during during the virus. And for harness racing um, in particular, they look for things 
where you can see mistreatment of animals. Uh, luckily, uh, we don't have the death rate that the thoroughbreds have because whether you know it or not, that death rate is – If they, I'm surprised nobody's played it up. It's two every day you know, when, when racing is going. It's two horses die every day almost um, you know, th- between 750 and 1,000 a year are dying. That's a pretty big number. I mean, we don't have that. We don't have anywhere close to that. So thank God they don't have that bullet in their gun. But they got two bullets, okay? And one of the bullets is aftercare. And when you watch certain video clips or if anybody happened to see the HBO special uh, that was focused on on uh, thoroughbred racing, but it holds. And they, they track what happened to a horse you know, after they raced, and then they end up in the kill pen and shot in the head, and uh, like some of the most gruesome stuff you could possibly see. Um, and then trace it back to the trainer, and the trainer says, "I don't know what happened to the horse." So that that's one area we got to defend. And I'm, I'm and I I'm I'm not going to spend today's a lot of time talking about aftercare. Um, and that's a tough one, by the way, because it's a lot of money. The other one, and here I promised you I'd bring it back around is how we treat our horses on the track because that's visible and and even though i'm going to talk about medication and the federal legislation later they can't see medication they only can kind of see it if a horse dies because of it but that doesn't happen in our sport so medication reform is important but that's not it's not a humongous weapon as whipping is and what you can see when a horse comes down the lane on a racetrack and whether it hurts the horse or not as somebody said in yesterday's meeting it doesn't matter perception is the reality but the reality is it does hurt the horse okay so i'm going to say don't let anybody tell me something different and if you want to test it out in each jurisdiction allow me to hit you as hard as the rules allow me to hit a horse number one and number two to say the horse doesn't feel it Watch what happens when a fly lands on a horse. They take that tail, they flip it off. So if they can feel a fly, they can feel a whip. But even if I'm totally wrong on that, okay, it doesn't matter. Coming back to what I was saying earlier, we don't want to give the animal rights groups, or groups that want to shut us down, weapons. And the whip is a weapon that we are giving them, again, whether it's perceived or actual, that looks like it's animal abuse. And I'm going to tell you, at least sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. Because I know I've done it myself. That I've come off, I've hit a horse, not thinking I hit it hard. But then I get called in and I see pictures of welts on the horse. And I feel horrible about it. So that happens out there. And the USTA has part of right on the home page about the USTA. We have a mission, and one of our missions is to insist on the humane treatment of standard breads. And I'm saying we need to do it for two reasons. One is internal. It's just the right damn thing to do. But the other, other going back to the bigger picture, is external. And we don't want to give the animal rights groups an opportunity to come in and hurt our sport and say you're abusing the animals. So what's the answer? You know, the answer is curtail whipping, at least to a much greater degree. And I've looked at this very, very closely, and I've come up with three levels. One is get rid of the whip. That is the most elegant solution to this. I'm not saying it's the right one. 
It's the most elegant because it takes away all judgments. Okay, it, first of all, the judges don't have to uh, judge if you use the whip the right way or the wrong way. It's gone, so it's simple. And it totally takes the bullet out of the gun for the animal rights groups. The issue with doing that is safety. And by the way, there are places, okay, so in Norway they don't race with whips at all. And I can tell you I raced as an amateur driver in New Zealand, and the amateur races go with no whips. So it is possible. And there's a long letter that Jerry Bailey wrote about how many times he thought he would need the whip for safety over his career, and it was three or four, a really small number. So that, that's level one, no whip, and it's got a lot of elegance. Level two, and the California Horse Racing Board passed this temporarily, uh, that the jockeys could, this is jockeys, could only use the crop for safety. So it, the, the negative of that, of course, is it brings in such ju some judgment, but the positive is you're almost never touching the horse, and when you do, you have to justify it. And um, I understand that one. Uh, if anybody who's listening has ever driven a horse and you've had one rear up on you, you're very happy that you have the whip before the race to smack it and make it go. Because, frankly, that's way more humane than not doing it and having it fall down on you and having the fall, horse fall down on its back and possibly die. But, frankly, that's the one I truly probably believe in, Mike. But politically, the USTA board is not going to go for that one. So I created a whipping rule that I won't go through all the detail. It basically says you can use your wrist only. You can't use your arm, which translates to that you can tap the horse. And that's a way a driver can communicate with a horse, because unlike a jockey, we don't have our hands, we don't have our legs uh, that can reach the horse. Um, so I thought that was a reasonable compromise and something that uh, reasonable animal rights people could live with because it's just a tapping. It's a, it's a way to a communicate. It's an extension of your arm. And frankly, um, the, the, I have not heard any argument against this other than one. And that one argument that I've heard, and I'd love for you to give me some hypothetical arguments, is that the betters may think the drivers aren't trying enough and therefore handle will drop. Well, the reality is, in some jurisdictions, the use of the crop has been curtailed or cut back. Handles haven't dropped. But the biggest example is in, and, and as you asked me the initial question, is in Ontario, where, where Ontario-wide and, and including uh, Woodbine, you know, obviously, sorry, now called Mohawk, uh, or Woodbine at Mohawk, um, you know, the, the Canada's largest and most important track, and it might be even second or third to Yonkers and Meadowlands here. Uh, they've instituted this change provincially-wide, and there was actually an increase uh, uh, in handle first six months or first last similar time periods from the last two years, and I've, I've gotten the data uh, from the fellow who runs the Mohawk track. Um, well, I'm not saying that whipping increased handle, but there was no noticeable decrease in handle, and betters clearly shift you know, what, what they perceive. And it's actually maybe the better drivers will do better because the, the play of their hands is more important um, than, or, or it takes more talent to do that. So that's the only rule, uh, reason that I've heard. And frankly, I think the whole industry is at risk if you don't do something. So even if handle dropped a little bit, I would say that's better than it dropping to zero, which I think 
is a real possibility. Like Joe said, there are people out there actively, they're looking for ways to cut our sport down, right? They're looking for it in Florida. You know, you know, Pompano Park has been close to shut down a couple of times. It's likely to shut down through a loophole in the rule in the rules where they'll have paramutual high lie. I'm not telling you all of the casino tracks want to do that, but some of them clearly want to do that. You saw how fast Pompano Park shut down uh, racing, even though they still could in Florida. Then they wanted to kick the, the folks off the backstretch. The horsemen got that changed. You know, they want it gone. So this is my theme. And on top of that, I, I think this is going to be harsh, and the directors are not going to like hearing this, that anybody who doesn't support such a rule is derelict in their duty as a director. When you, re, when you know what's going on, the risks that we face overall of just continuation of this industry that is basically not supported by the public, it's supported by these governmental subsidies. Um, without them, they wouldn't exist. And why put those at risk? And then on top of that, as I said, one of our key missions is the humane treatment of standard breads. So I've yacked on here for 10 minutes, um, <laughs> but you asked the question. I, I, I did circle it back. This is essential. And the last thing I want to tell you, Mike, we've got so many friggin' problems. This is the easiest one. It is free. Like when we talk about aftercare, it's money. When we talk about medication and testing and whether the feds do it or we do it or a consortium does it, it's money. If you want to up the investigation so we get the scumbag trainers that hurt everybody else out of the business, it's money. Money stands in the way of all of the, those things doing what we really want. This one's free. So it is absolutely beyond me how you, we don't do something so easy. So now I am going to pass it back to you, but you use the word passionate. I think you probably heard that in my voice. No question about it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with you about the perception. No question about it. I mean, I, you know, every, every time I introduce somebody new to the sport of harness racing, that is usually the very first thing that I get is is uh, asking uh, different questions about whipping, whether it hurts the horse, uh, why it's used, uh, you know, et cetera. Um, let's switch gears a little bit, Dave. Let's talk a little bit about this federal legislation. What do you believe the Horse Racing Integrity Act will do that currently is not already being done in the industry? So my view um, is actually quite simple. Um, and and let, me, let me clearly label that this is my view. And even though I'm a USTA director, this is not necessarily and probably not the view of the USTA in general. Um, the, the thoroughbred industry, as well as the standard bred industry, as I look at it, for the 20-plus years I've been involved, have tried and tried and tried to get uniformity in medication through our breed. And that's something that I think every single person uh, in each industry agrees that all I was okay. I was just muted for a second. That all of us believe a consistent set of rules would be best. Even going back to the whipping for a second. Um, right now, there's a bunch of mixed bag on uh, the different jurisdictions, and everybody I think agrees. I think that we want to be able to move from state to state, or even into Canada, uh, with the same set of rules. 
So, so we have tried all kinds of attempts to get a uniform set of rules, and I'm just looking at it and saying it's failed. And on the thoroughbred side, the jockey club has put a lot of money over 20 years to try to get this done. And frankly, um, they didn't want federal legislation. They wanted one of these other techniques to work. But at some point, you've got to throw your hands up. And that's what they've done. And so the, the only question becomes is, okay, how do you get consistent rules across all jurisdictions? And as I said, the USDA is even making a current attempt uh, outside of the federal, federal legislation. So I, I support the federal legislation uh, for that purpose. Some of the items within the federal legislation I do not support. Um, but I do think that there is room um, particularly the LASIKs issue, uh, for the USTA to work to get a separate breed medication standards, still, still the same across the country, um, recognizing that our horses are different than thoroughbreds, and they clearly are. Two hooves hit the ground at one time, not one. There's less stress on them. We race once a week. We don't go as fast. We race 250 starts in a lifetime, not 40 in a lifetime, et cetera, et cetera. We all know those differences. And I think the USTA is there's there's a calculated risk to oppose it, and if it goes through, you have a lot less influence. Uh, if you've seen the show Hamilton, wonderful musical about wanting to be in the room where it happens, you may not be in the room or have that seat at that table quite as much. So I I think it's I think it's the right move because every other move has failed, and it will it will absolutely work that it's going to be mandated, and if it, if it goes through, that's it. Now you have issues of who pays for it, and that's a big, big issue uh, because you have to look at kind of cost drivers, and uh, right now they're throwing around numbers like $48 a start, and harness racing has about the same number of starts as thoroughbred, but roughly a tenth the handle. So is that fair to do it on the basis of starts? Too much money is going to be paid by the standardbred industry. The real answer is look at the cost drivers. Some of the cost driver is per start, and that should be handled per start. You know, you take a vial of blood, that's a function of how many vials you take, which is a function of how many starts there are. The research and development aspect of it, that's different. All right, thoroughbred should probably, that should be kind of more based on handle because it's based on the size of your business. But, um, and, and like going back to Lasix, yeah, this Lasix is a tough one. By the way, I do believe it's more humane to race the horses on Lasix. Uh, so I totally agree with the USTA on that one. But there's, but now I'm coming back to what I talked about, the whipping. This is the most difficult part of this. When you say to the public, for this horse to race safely, I need to put a needle in its neck the day of or maybe the day before. Okay, it doesn't matter. I need to add a drug to make it work, you know, to, 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 to be humane. The problem when you do that is now you're giving the animal rights groups another weapon. So this is tough. I don't, I don't have an answer on this one, Mike, because I'd love to take that weapon away from them, but at the same time we're being less humane to the horse because you know what they're going to say. If you've got to, if you got to give them the drug to race, they shouldn't be racing, and they could ultimately win that argument. So if we knew they were going to win that argument, then would you rather race not on Lasix than not race at all? that may become the issue. So uh, I, I hope I address it. It's a thorny, thorny issue. And this is totally wrong that the deaths 
at Santa Anita are going to help this thing. I'm not saying it, it's going to. It gives it. It gives this legislation more power. It shouldn't. Okay, it shouldn't. But it's going to. And uh, you know, it looks like it's clearly going to pass in the House um, because they have more than half the House as a sponsor. And um, you know, if it's going to get stopped, it's going to have to get stopped in the Senate. I just kind of cross my fingers and hope that maybe, maybe the USTA could get back in there with them and, and do get some kind of carve-outs that are going to be acceptable to them uh, and then get behind it. Right. Because a lot, one right. last thing, even though this is going to cost more money, I think it's if you knew the industry was going to be gone, if you didn't spend more money on medication enforcement, then you pay the extra tax. That's a lousy choice, but it's the better of the two. Right. Interesting stuff. Well, let's uh, let's talk. Just touch real quickly, uh, Dave, on the uh, free data stuff. Uh, obviously, one of the perceived issues that people have in racing is the lack of free data. And uh, working with data every day, uh, why do you think free data is not a benefit to the industry as a whole? No, I, I, I to the contrary. I think free. I think there should be free data. How's that for a surprise? I, there you now, go. I like now, it. Now, 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 yeah, good, good. But let me also tell you. I think there should be free gasoline for cars, and I think there should be free electricity to my house, and I think food should be free. So, since those things are unrealistic, when you get to free data, oh yeah, yeah, that's a nice thing. So let me point out a, uh, some realities. First of all, there are immense amounts, immense amounts of free data already out there. Immense amounts. Every person, virtually every person who uses and go, uses an ADW gets their past performances rebated. So the ADWs have decided, for better or worse, that to attract you uh, as a customer, it's worth it to give you free data, number one. Number two, the tracks have never been stopped to give away free data in the programs that they have at their racetracks. I can't tell you that none of them do, but virtually none of them do. There's no restriction on it. They can do it now. And they just decide, uh, for better or worse, is it economic to do it? The USD has has the strategic wagers. That data is free. And for better or worse, and I will tell you worse, all the Canadian racetracks give away the past performance data for free. So the real question is, if we were to give away free data, two questions. One, and, and, and it's really what form is the data in, but let's talk about classic past performances for a minute. Let's use that as, as what people mean when free data. So there's two issues. One, who's going to pay for it? Because somebody has to pay for it when you go down the food chain. If I want my free gas, it doesn't just come out of the sky, right? Shell would have to pay for it. Somebody's going to have to pay for it. So if you want free data, who's going to pay for it? Because the collection of the data is not free. Who's going to pay for it? And then second, does it really have an enough positive effect to offset whatever that cost of that underlying data is? So let's use an ADW for an example. So the ADW has to pay, let's say, a buck for a program. Okay, the ADW gets, let's call it, let's call it five percent. Okay, uh, of the, so the ADW would have to believe that that person, on average, is going to bet fifty dollars more 
than it uh, than he or she otherwise would bet if they didn't get the free program. Now, one may say they must think that, otherwise they wouldn't do it. Well, I agree that the first one thought that. But the problem is when the first one did that, the others had to follow suit. And I can tell you that there is no question that they all preferred that they never had done it. When you talk to, and you should one day interview, the CEO or previous CEOs of Standard Red Canada, and every one of them will tell you, I wish we didn't do it, because there's no evidence whatsoever that handle goes up a proportional amount to compensate for the free data. And and the idea that, oh, it'll bring in new people, that's baloney because that data is too complicated. The data that might bring in new people is really, really, really simplified data. Um, and there are uh, selections all over the place that are for free. Uh, Equibase built an online simple graphic program and a um, in an app to use that is at no charge for people has it had a positive effect on handle i don't think so that one's a little bit hard to measure but the pps are are pretty clear and the last thing it's public you know trackmaster pays the usta a substantial amount of money it, it shares with the pps so if the USTA or the industry decided to give away the PPs for free, uh, A, the USTA would somehow have to replace that money that TrackMaster is giving. That's why I said somebody's got to pay for it. So the USTA would have to pay for it. And how are they going to pay for it? Increase in membership fees, increase in track dues. I mean, it, it, does, it just doesn't come out of the sky. And the other thing is, is when you give stuff away for free, it stifles innovation. So if we were in this, let's just say we were a contractor and the USTA paid us a certain amount of money to give the, free, the PPs away for free, what incentive would we have to you know, develop new speed ratings, to develop class ratings, to develop power ratings, to develop these other products when the base product is given away for free? Um, so that's kind of my overall Take if somebody out there, I'm going to make a number up. Okay, two million dollars. If there is a philanthropist out there that said to the USTA, I'm going to give you two million dollars a year if you stop the contract when it expires with TrackMaster and take your basic PPs and give it away for free, I'd probably support it. I'd be behind it. And you tell me when that person comes up or where that money's going to come from. So it's really easy for people to say, give this free. That's that's why I came back to the gas. Easy for me to say that. From a practical standpoint, somebody's got to pay for it, and there's no evidence that it will have a, any kind of effect on handle. None. Good stuff. Well, Dave, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us. We'll certainly have to have you back real soon. Interesting stuff. Good conversation, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Happy to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. All right. That was uh, Dave Seek. And I think we lost. Uh, I think we lost Mike uh, again uh, in that switch. That was Dave Siegel. I'm going to try to get Mike back here. That was uh, Dave Siegel from Trackmaster. Lots of really uh, interesting stuff uh, from Dave. And we're going to talk to Mike here in a second. I accidentally dropped him off uh, there towards the end. But uh, Dave talking about uh, some of the things he believes. Uh, are affecting harness racing from whipping to the federal legislation to free data and uh, Mike, I accidentally pushed uh, pushed your pushed your mute button. <laughs> Sorry about that. 
Well, no, no, that's good. But that was, uh, you know, that was a pretty good conversation. And, you know, usually we don't delve into the, those kind of topics on the, on the show. But, you know, hey, with the with the downtime and that, it's 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 good to every once in a while kind of talk about, uh, you know, the problems that the plague racing. And, um, you know, it's interesting because it seems like everybody's got a kind of a different view on how to uh, attack things, you know, and, and uh, you know, it's just just some interesting stuff. I mean, really interesting stuff. And you know, with the coronavirus thing going around, it, a lot of this stuff kind of gets, uh, you know, kind of pushed under the rug for right now because everybody's talking about the coronavirus. But uh, you know, there are some problems that plague harness racing, and I do believe that you know it's good to have open dialogue like that to try to at least come up with some ideas uh, on how to you know kind of help solve these problems anyway. Right. Well, we're going to take one final time out. When we come back, Mike and I will wrap this thing up. You've got Post Time with Mike and Mike presented by the United States Trotting Association. We'll be right back. Jimmy Freight is new to Ontario in 2020. Jimmy Freight is the richest and fastest son of a sports writer and was the O'Brien 3-year-old called Pacer of the Year and won multiple stakes at ages 2, 3, and 4. And Jimmy Freight turns on the Jimmy Jet by a length and a half in 148-1. Jimmy Freight at 10-1 to to win the Dayton. Derby. He stands his first season in 2020. For booking information on Jimmy Freight, please visit winbackfarm.com. Limited shares available. Go to winbackfarm.com. Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. Southern Oaks has been the winter home of many great horses competing in several different stakes programs. It's home to leading trainers such as Irv Miller, John Shane, Eddie Lohmeyer, and Ian Moore, just to name a few. The farm is conveniently located within 45 minutes of both the Orlando Airport and Daytona Beach in sunny Florida. Southern Oaks, arguably the best training service in all of Florida, has stalls for rent for the winter season. For more information, visit southernoakstraining.com. That's southernoakstraining.com. We're back on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by the United States Trotting Association. Mike Carter, alongside of Mike Bozich, as we get ready to wrap this thing up, Mike. Uh, obviously, a lot of uh, things going on in the sport of harness racing. Uh, Mike and I have done some discussions. I think we're going to try to keep this program going about as long as we can, uh, Mike, to see what we can do. But uh, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, times are tough, and uh, from our family to yours, we hope uh, everybody's uh, hope everybody stays safe. Yeah, that's the thing, and and really practice the guidelines that uh, you know that that the government and everybody's given you. I mean, it's it's just very important. I see that you know, there's I, I do see a majority of people obviously taking it seriously, but there are still some people out there, Mike, that. Uh, you know, I don't really know if if it's just they can't really accept what's going on, but you still see some people out there, uh, you know, not really following the, the uh, I don't want to say orders of the federal government, but not following the guidelines of the government. So really take it seriously. I mean, this is, you heard from Joe uh, Feraldo. I mean, we've, you know, we've heard from people that have battled this and, 
and it's not pretty, you know, and, and a lot of times you don't even have to be sick. I mean, you could be asymptomatic and you'll, you may never get sick, but you could still right. have it and but you, and you could spread it. That's the main thing. I think that's the big thing about this, uh, Mike, is that, and that's how this thing's getting spread is people have it. They don't know they have it. They never get sick. They never get a fever. They never get a cough. They never get so much of the stuff he knows. And they're out there and they're spreading this to, you know, people that don't don't have a great immune system. So please, it's it's important to, you know, follow these stay home orders, follow these curfews, and and uh, you know, hopefully we could get back to work really quick if uh, you know, and we will, if uh, you know, if everybody could kind of, you know, follow those guidelines. All right. Well, again, thanks so much for taking time to tune in. It was great to check up with Joe Feraldo and Dave Siegel. Great to hear that Joe Feraldo is doing so well. We'll see everybody back here next Thursday, Mike, at 1030. See you back here uh, bright and early as well, man. Yep. All right. See everybody next week. First post is 1030. Good night, everybody. Closing time. Turn all of the lights on over One last call for alcohol, so finish your whiskey or beer. Closing time, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I know. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary BGW void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus